The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Myra Safong, Senior Reporter with MarketWatch. Thanks for joining us today on the call and how on, and it'll be on how the release of oil reserves affect gas prices. My guest is Tom Plaza, Global Head of Energy Analysis at Opus, a Dow Jones company. Hi, Tom. Welcome. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks for joining me on Barron's Live. I'm, I'm really glad to be talking with you today, and I know we're all eager to hear about what's been going on with gasoline prices. So let's start with what everyone wants to know. What's the big deal about President Biden's uh, announcement this week to release 15 million barrels from the oil reserve especially since it's basically a completion of the SPR release announced back in the spring. Yeah, it's, it's really a lot of numerical mumbo jumbo. We're not getting a greater commitment right now, but you know, they're stretching out that original 180 that was allocated into December. And the question becomes, you know, what happens in 2023? The most interesting part of the announcement this week was really where they said they were going to buy back crude oil in a band between 67 and $71 a barrel. Uh, that may provide a little bit of a backstop for crude oil producers who say, look, uh, your administration wants to put me out of business and uh, you know we need prices not to go back below $50 because we've been through two boom and bust periods already. So do you actually expect this SPR release itself to have an impact on gas prices? I, I don't think this is going to have much of an impact on gasoline prices. If you look back, uh, this really wasn't about crude oil that much. I mean, it was about probably refining, going extracurricular to the mothership of crude oil prices. You know, we saw different points this year in different markets where gasoline was fetching 50 or 60 or even $100 a barrel over crude in California. Uh, so I, I think this probably calms down the crude oil market, but it doesn't really have much of an impact on gasoline. You know, my belief is we're going to kind of wobble a little bit lower here in the rest of this year and then watch out in 2023. Okay, let's get back to the background on all this. I mean, I know the worry started um, on gas prices started uh, back when Russia invaded Ukraine at the end of February. And we already knew that, you know, any supply issues or even just perception of them would eventually um, cause a rise in gas prices. Could you just go quickly over uh, what the market reaction was to that and just how quickly we saw prices climb uh, for oil and gasoline shortly after that? Sure, Meyer. I, I, first of all, 2021 was really an historic year. Uh, in terms of actual demand, nothing spectacular. But in terms of revving up from an incredibly low demand world and the United States, uh, we saw just leaps and bounds where the recovery from COVID uh, and particularly in, you know, a non or excuse me, in emerging countries really revved up. And we didn't have necessarily a very comfortable supply of crude oil coming into 2022. So the expectation was that 2022 would be a high price year. Nobody expected uh, 
Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine. And that complicated things, even though from the February invasion through, let's say, August or September, they managed to export about as much crude oil as they did beforehand. Uh, it's only now that we face the December 5th deadline, which is when European Union countries will start to boycott Russian hydrocarbons. So we've got a lot on the, uh, the plate here as we get into the end of the year. And as I mentioned, I don't think that the SPR action is that uh, relevant to what's going to happen with gasoline. What's going to happen with gasoline is going to be relevant to where we are re refineries in the country. Even so, I mean, back in late March, Biden announced that biggest ever release from the SPR. Was, was that a shock? Did that really have a big impact, at least short term, on prices? Well, you know, the... the um, the problem before that, there had been some releases here and there, and even in Bill Clinton's term, I remember a release accrued, but they were very, very small. And as a friend of mine, an analyst said, it was kind of a pop gun when you needed a howitzer. This was a howitzer. I mean, releasing 180 million barrels of crude in U.S. underground caves was, you know, a, a definite howitzer. And uh, the question is, when you replace it, uh, what happens and what if we're really stuck uh, with a world market where crude oil prices are going up uh, uh, in the future? You know, have we basically spent the bullets that we have in the, the magazine for it? I don't think so. And I think you'll find that if you really look at the numbers, for example, you, you can make the, the call that we don't need or we certainly didn't need six or seven hundred million barrels. If you look at U.S. production and you listen to people who say that we can get to 13 million barrels a day fairly easily. And then if you look at Canada and you take another two and a half million barrels a day of imports, there, you really only fall short by about two million barrels of what you need to run all the refineries well. So uh, 200 million barrels would be 100 days of supply based on those calculations. So it's not quite as dire and as much of a crisis as some people would make it out to be. Even so, do you think there's anything else the Biden administration could have done? Uh, was it was that the SPR release the best move it could have made at that time? I don't think there's much that they can do. Uh, you know, we saw some drastic action at the beginning of this month where they eased the regulations for gasoline in California. Gasoline has to have a very, very low vapor pressure and low volatility. Uh, during summer months and the summer, uh, according to California, ends on November 1st. So uh, they did that and they allowed more components like butane and naphtha to basically go into the gasoline formula. And that caused the actual spot prices for gasoline to drop from about excuse me, $4.60 a gallon to about $2.80 a gallon right now. Yeah, the problem with changing specifications for gasoline is that you probably uh, get some of the attention and some of the criticism from the environmental movement, because overall, it helps not to have very, very volatile gasoline uh, during the ozone season. A number of people have asked me, you know, how would this SPR uh, release actually help gasoline prices? Could you tell us a bit about what happens once the oil from the SPR is sold? Who buys it? And do we have enough refinery capacity to process it? 
Right. Well, first of all, I would I would say, and I would argue with people who say it didn't have an impact on crude oil. It yeah. definitely had an impact on crude oil. We went to 145 for Brent and WTI prices back in 2008, and we only got up to about 120 and change this year. So if you look at hydrocarbons, every single hydrocarbon, you know, from a barrel of crude, let's say, every single hydrocarbon had an all-time price high, whether it be gasoline, whether it be jet fuel, diesel, uh, or even kerosene. We did not see a new high for crude oil. And that was because of 180 million barrels hitting the world market. It really did temper world prices. Again, I don't think that you could put a mission accomplished sign up there because you're not sure what's going to happen if we lose Russian hydrocarbons on December 5th or into early 2022. Uh, we might need it. But I don't think that the, uh, the SPR, I, you know, I believe that even with the draining of it, that it's still, uh, it's still substantial enough to cover all the needs of the United States. Now, I mentioned that we saw record prices for all other hydrocarbons. Again, in California, you had the price of gasoline wholesale, X tax, no carbon charges, was less than, excuse me, was about $200 a barrel. It's never been that high before, never been close to that. So you had record prices for that. And that was essentially because in 2018, we started uh, unwinding some of our refineries. And in 2020, uh, we lost some when COVID struck and there was really no demand. Uh, I would hazard a guess that most of the refinery operators who shut those uh, pieces of equipment in 2020 would have liked to have had them back this year because you know, it was definitely a supply shortfall, a perceived supply shortfall, and uh, very, very profitable to be a refiner this year. Refiners were probably the biggest beneficiaries of the SPR release. And I do actually have a somewhat related question from audience member William. He asked, um, after the newest round of the SPR release, will the reserve have enough and the right type of oil in case of an actual crisis? The second part of that question is interesting. I do believe that the reserve will have enough because, again, I think when you really look at it and you you know think back to the SBR, you don't even have to go back to when that was started. You can go back to the Obama presidency uh, and the early uh, portions of it where we were producing about five or six million barrels a day of crude. Now we're producing 12. And I think most of the estimates are that we can get to 13. So you have a demand for crude oil that's about 16 million barrels a day, you know, through most of the year or much, much of the year with the exception of summer. So you've got uh, 13 and then you get two or two and a half million barrels a day from Canada. And I don't think we're going to war with them. So you're only short a couple of million barrels a day. And again, 200 million barrels a day. And I don't believe that anyone's got a design to go that low would be enough to cover that shortfall. The problem that you do get into with the SPR is that at any given moment, there might be remediation, tank maintenance, all sorts of things going on that about 100 uh, million barrels a day or more is not sort of grabbable. So that's one of the things you have to consider. And I would mention on the last uh, part of that question, we are talking about, you know, the problem is, is that in that 12 million barrels a day of U.S. production right now, 
a lot of it is very, very light and very, very sweet crude. Uh, that's a good crude to be making a lot of gasoline, but it's not necessarily a good crude to be making a lot of heating oil and diesel. So I, I would suspect that what we'll see in some of the further releases, you know, the ones that are November and December, and then perhaps early in 2023, um, they'll be releasing uh, some of the light sweet crude uh, because they need the distillate rich crudes that make a lot of diesel, a lot of jet fuel, heating oil, and kerosene. Be, that's, those are the crude oil blends that we'll buy back uh, when the buying begins at a fixed and firm crisis uh, in 2024 and five. And I have a question from Rex and he asks, what are the possible long-term effects of reducing the SPR to manipulate short-term gas prices? I mean, is that even what that SPR was for? Yeah, you know, I don't think it was a very effective way to, and I wouldn't use the term manipulate gas prices. I think it was an effort to really bring down the price of crude oil. And uh, to the extent that it did not necessarily bring gasoline down initially or, or diesel fuel initially, it was a little bit of a misplaced uh, uh, firearm or whatever, because the problem is you can't really store those products, gasoline and diesel. Uh, they don't have a shelf life uh, like a raw product does in Cavern. So, uh, you know, the, the administration will take a bow on it or talk about how it brought down the price of gasoline. But I would argue that gasoline was brought down by the tremendous profit that refiners were making on it. And then ultimately there was a little bit uh, of a comfort zone that was created by demand destruction with the public. You know, the, the banks, the big banks said that you needed to get to 602 a gallon for gasoline to see some demand destruction. And one of them even said $6.60. What they didn't re realize is that gasoline prices really, really strike a visceral nerve with the public. And it's not just a, a question of deciding that, well, uh, you know, this price is, is ridiculous or we think it's uh, absurdly high. It's, it can come down to where people drive less because of spite think that they're taking advantage of. Uh, I don't believe they are. I think that, you know, refined product prices move up uh, when there's more buyers and sellers, just like Bitcoin or a stock or whatever. But that's part of the great bullion base we see right now in uh, oil and gasoline prices. Uh-oh. What is too low for the SPR? Um, I know we're at the lowest since the 1980s already, and you've mentioned to me before that we need a minimum in the reserve to even just be able to draw out the inventories. Yeah, well, I, I you know, I, people will start to worry about it being too too low probably as soon as we get into 2023, particularly if we lose some Russian oil. But I think uh, you know when you get down to 400 or so, well, well we're close to that now, but. You probably have about 100 million barrels of leeway. Again, uh, that backstop of knowing that prices are not going to drop, you know, below 70 for appreciably a long time, that probably helps a lot of producers. Uh, they'd like maybe a little bit higher price uh, as backstop, but you know, not everyone can come up with that. So, I would argue that. Uh, when we had six and 700 and 720 million barrels in the reserve, 
it was a bit of uh, an anachronism. And it was an anachronism based on the fact that we were only producing five or six million barrels a day for a couple of decades. You mentioned a little bit about this already, um, but another question from the audience, Elizabeth asked if you can discuss the efforts to replenish the oil reserve um, in order to put the words, and I'm quoting her on this, strategic and oil reserve back in the name. Well, uh, I still believe it's a strategic reserve. Uh, you know, one can argue that it was used for political ends and to, to lay claim to uh, mollifying breakaway gasoline prices. Uh, you know, the replenishment will be, it'll be uh, interesting. There were very, very bright economists through the years that suggested when prices dip, it was a good time to replenish the reserve. But you think about the last uh, sort of debacle for crude oil prices took place in the COVID year, 2020. And it was a pretty difficult time uh, to authorize any budget uh, money to go and replenish crude oil reserves. So I, I think it's a reasonable uh, it's a reasonable amount of crude oil right now, and it'll probably be a reasonable amount, <coughs> excuse me, after the first uh, 16 or 25 million barrels that might be sold in 2023. By the way, there's differences between what the president authorizes, uh, like the 180 million barrel a day sale, and what Congress authorizes in various budget acts. Congress, you know, can treat the SPR like a little bit of a piggy bank. If they need money to replenish highway funds or something like that, they'll authorize sales of the SPR to raise some money. And uh, we've got a couple of those that are happening in fiscal uh, 2023. So, you know, we don't know what the Biden administration will do next year, uh, but we do know that there's going to be sales out of the SPR in accord with what uh, legislation was passed in the previous year. Okay. Um, and a question from Ross. He's asking um, how other fuel types will be impacted, including distillate fuel and kerosene for home heating. And I definitely see the point, given that we'll need more heating oil for the winter and we're seeing huge, a huge rise in diesel prices. Right. Well, again, that's, you know, that speaks to the notion that refiners who probably cut back a little bit too aggressively on capacity are the principal beneficiaries of this tampering down of crude oil prices. You know, as I'm speaking to you today, uh, we're getting, you know, a refiner that's manufacturing diesel, heating oil, kerosene or jet fuel in the Northeast is making something like 80 or $90 a barrel. They're not colluding. It has nothing to do with collusion. It has to do with more buyers and sellers, and that's setting the market price. So I think we're lucky in that we don't have $150 crude oil price, but you know, we're looking at, at values for uh, some of the finished products that are, you know, $103 or $182. We got up to $182 a barrel price uh, for Gulf Coast gasoline at one point. Uh, and that was really what drove the numbers. That and other markets drove the retail prices to 501. We're at similar prices, even higher than that. We've been above $200 a barrel for diesel, and that's what's driving the prices to five six dollars for diesel and five fifty to six dollars for heating oil. So that's a tough winner, but it's not a tough winner because of uh, you know soaring crude oil prices. It's kind of a tough winner despite 
the very temperate numbers we've seen for crude oil. And then with this SPR release, are there actually any big winners or losers in the gasoline market? I have an audience member, George, um, who had a question related to that. He's pointing out that Oklahoma is a production and refining state. So he's asking, is this a win for production states and the production side of the equation? It, it's, it's a win. I, you know, the SPR sale isn't a win for oil producers. You know, oil producers uh, would probably prefer uh, an absolutely free and unfettered market where maybe we would have gone to 120 to 140 dollars a barrel crude. I, I would say that probably the break-even numbers for crude oil, uh, <coughs> pardon me, are still pretty decent to where they can make good buck on production. And we'll find out a little bit more about that in the next uh, 10 days or so as earnings come out. The big winners are the refiners. And again, they haven't done anything wrong. And if anything, you know, they're the ones who have been targeted uh, to have distressed assets or assets that might be stranded down the road. Uh, but for now, you know, if, and some of them are in what I would call a sunset business. They're enjoying one beautiful sunset that may last for a number of years. You know, one of the problems is that the people who are, are kind of running the energy transition or really pushing for the energy transition, they have to come to terms with the fact that it's not going to be a free lunch. It's going to be very, very painful. And we're going to see high prices because I would say that if you had a refinery uh, event on the West Coast and you lost a refinery, that refinery is not coming back. It doesn't have a 20-year future. So uh, we're going to see that in this country and we're going to see some hot spots. Opus follows seven huge bulk markets where gasoline and diesel trade. And uh, it's been a very, very uneven market with California $2 above uh, East Coast prices uh, and very unhomogenized gasoline prices. There was a moment there uh, a few weeks ago where if you looked at gasoline futures, which is you know the, the sort of LIBOR rate for a lot of people that look at gasoline, and they didn't realize that every market was trading at 20, 50, a dollar uh, over those prices, or even $2.60 over those prices. Uh, and that really speaks to the notion that gas prices are much more parochial than crude oil prices. And you've got very different prices there in California, where you probably have to fill up your tank with $6 gas and much cheaper prices at the Gulf Coast. Yeah, I have to ask you on that in this in this spot. You know, I'm based in California, so why why does my state actually pay more for gas? And more importantly, you know, I'm paying an average closer to five eighty three, but realistically in my area it's closer to six fifty. So what's going on there? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, and this isn't the biggest factor, but you do have higher taxes and you do have some carbon charges. And I think the whole basket of those adds about a dollar thirty to the price. It's a very distant market from refineries in the Far East. And many times you'll see a price for gasoline of, let's say, $4 in the spot market. That's wholesome. Uh, but the price two weeks from today might be $3.50. And so you don't have trading companies and cargoes coming in from Singapore or Korea or whatever. Uh, it is an island, you know, albeit one that's on the, uh, uh, the left exterior coast of the country. So, you know, again, I've said this before, I think that if uh, a refinery to close there were to close there or were to be 
impacted by a major event, the fire explosion or whatever. I don't think it's coming back because clearly the state has made it known that they want to be weaned off of fossil fuels. There were some polls this week that said people were, I wouldn't say happy, but they accepted the deal that they might have to pay more for gasoline to get off of uh, uh, fossil fuels for uh, for travel and so forth. So, you know, they've, they've made their bed. Uh, they can lie in it. And, uh, you know, the only thing I think they've probably been a, a little bit disingenuous about is telling folks that it's going to cost. It's going to be very, very costly versus the rest of the country. You know, California has a Mediterranean climate and they've got Mediterranean prices for gasoline these days. But as a, as a nation, we actually did see an average price of, I believe it's $5.02, according to Opus and AAA data um, back in June. Right. Uh, why, why did we actually hit that price despite the biggest ever SPR release? Well, you're talking about the national price. Yeah, the national price. And again, uh, the price of gasoline, which trades in a lot of places in barges and pipeline loads or whatever throughout the country, it really exploded versus the price of crude. I would say going back 30 years, gasoline might normally sell for about you know, $10 over the price of crude uh, during the winter and uh, uh, late fall. And it might fetch $20 or $25 a barrel over the price of crude at other points of the year. We saw it really become untethered uh, to crude oil prices. And a lot of that was, is driven by some sentiment. There are a lot of people that were buying Arbob futures on the NYMEX, and it got a, a very skewed market where you had 20 speculative buyers for everyone willing to sell into that market. Um, and we've seen this before. You know, I, I coined a word probably 20 years ago called petronoia. You know, every spring we see refineries go through maintenance. It's the obvious time to perform maintenance because you're done with winter, so you don't need all those winter fueling molecules and it's not quite the driving season uh, as well and by the way driving season is a little bit of a misnomer and so you have a bunch of refineries down and uh there's panic and every year we have what i call petronoia where people are buying gasoline futures or perhaps hoarding a little bit of gasoline in the bulk markets for the fear that there's not going to be enough i don't think we face that problem for gasoline in 2023 or beyond uh, in, unless we see some other refineries go. But I do think we're going to face that problem this winter uh, for winter fuels, and particularly for diesel and heating oil. Uh, the global stocks of distillate, which is diesel and heating oil, essentially, they're at their lowest level since 1982. And think about it. We've added about three and a half billion people to the world population in that time. So... If you were to do a chart and you said, you know, back in 1982, everyone had a barrel of diesel, you know, in storage for that. That number is way, way down. And it really, you know, it also speaks to the problem that we see in gasoline that works well in other businesses of just-in-time inventories. Uh, the inventories are much, much lower than they've ever been. And that's true not just for gasoline, but it's true for diesel. And that means that when there's a desperation, let's say if we get a cold snap in the Northeast in uh, late December, um, you run out of those shallow inventories very, very quickly. It's very quick to fill when uh, 
the markets get sloppy, but it's very, very quick to empty when there's a demand push. If everybody decided to buy gasoline and top off their tank uh, tomorrow, you know, we would see a, a spurt in prices, a tr tremendous spurt in prices. Uh, thankfully, we don't have that, but there's a lot of people who want to yell uh, fire in a crowded theater. Well, we don't have everyone wanting to fill up all at once, but we do have OPEC Plus, um, who said earlier this month that they want to um, cut output, uh, oil output by 2 million barrels uh, starting in November. Um, why do you, what sort of reaction did we actually see in oil? And then have we actually seen the reaction in gasoline yet on that? Not so much on gasoline. Again, we're in that ebb tide phase for gasoline where, you know, we generally get a break. People think that gas prices dropped from August to uh, November because of Election Day. And, you know, that almost imagines like the gods on Mount Olympus in a Mel Brooks movie. And it doesn't work that way. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, you know, the gasoline demand is very, very lumpy. It can go as high as like nine and a half or 10 million barrels a day, non-COVID period, non-high price period. Uh, and the EIA measured it that high, I believe, in 2019 or maybe in 2020, uh, but it was probably a rogue number. But it's very lumpy. We'll use probably about seven and a half million barrels a day of gasoline in January of 2023, as opposed to maybe nine and a half million barrels a day when we get to the summer months, if we're not in a recession. So it's very, very lumpy. Uh, lumpy can be good for people that like volatility. Uh, it can be very, very bad for consumers who uh, think that, you know, they don't have money to buy food and other items that are in, in, impacted by inflation. Very seasonal product. So what do you expect the focus for gasoline to be from here? Generally, you know, are, what could significantly impact prices for the rest of the year? Well, I don't think we're going to have shortages uh, in the foreseeable future. And I, I mean that in terms of crude oil and gas. I do think we could have shortages on diesel, heating oil, and jet fuel. We've seen that pop up occasionally. So I think we'll be okay. But it will continue to be just a raw nerve with the public. Uh, you know, this isn't Joe Biden's fault. The Keystone Pipeline wasn't going to be erected until 2024 or whatever. So... You know, we have a good relationship with Canada and we could use some more of the crude down the road, but it's not related to Keystone. And the reality is the president has very, very little uh, that he can do to uh, modify gas prices. Now, the, the concern of late has been that this administration seems to have a very adversarial relationship with Saudi Arabia. Uh, they also have adversarial relationships with Iraq and Iran. But it, it, that's a real tough one because, uh, you know, you can look at the behavior from some of these countries and now you have uh, Russia as part of OPEC plus and you go, where does principle end and market management begin? And that's a real difficult issue. I think years from now, we'll be surprised or we'll look back and we'll say, wow, I can't believe that so many industries and so many people in business uh, criticized the Biden administration and sided with the Saudis and the Russians in their, you know, view of market stability. But that's politics these days. And uh, it's made for very, very good messaging 
you know, those posters that show Joe Biden pressing, you know, pointing to the gasoline tank saying, I did it. It's disingenuous, but very effective messaging in politics. And I do have an, another audience member question, Susan, um, asking about the long-term outlook for gas prices three to three to five years out. Well, we're gonna we're gonna see demand drop. There was a period, I think it was between 2000 and uh, 17, 18, and 19, where gasoline demand every year 9.3 million barrels a day, a little bit less than 400 million gallons a day. Uh, I don't think we're going to ever see those prices again, even as, as we add population. The popularity of hybrids, uh, you know, some of the more elite people buying electric cars, and really the lack of mobility that comes with the, the recognition that a lot of us can work from home and don't need to sort of get in the rat race of commuting really will dull uh, the need for gasoline through the next few years. Now, I don't think it's going to drop to numbers like six and seven million barrels a day in the driving season. You know, Americans still want to get out and hit the road and take those road trips. And I would also argue that, um, you know, the prices this year are $5 a gallon. They struck a nerve with, with everybody, but they weren't really that high uh, or they weren't, they didn't amount to the prices we saw in 2008 uh, when you adjust for inflation. And that's beyond inflation. In 2008, when we got to the then apocalyptic $4.10 for gasoline, you know, the minimum wage was $6.50. That was a federal minimum wage. And many, many states pretty much implemented that. Now you've got a lot of people making $15, $16, $17 an hour. Uh, you might do the quick math and say, hey, they could, they could buy three gallons for an hour's worth of work, whereas back in uh, 2008, it might only be 1.5 gallons for hours of work for people on the margins of society. So, you know, given the uncertainty about gas prices a little further out, maybe 2023 to 2024, um, how might consumers deal with the additional costs? Uh, you know, I think you're going to see wild prices, which is to say the difference between the low and the high every year will be substantial. Even this year, we could see a difference which is probably, you know, in excess of $1.50 uh, in, in some states. And geez, you know, we saw a wholesale price uh, move of $1.50 down in California from October 3rd through maybe October 12th. So I think volatility sticks around. I think it helps a lot of people. Uh, it certainly helped a lot of gasoline retailers uh, we would always preach that volatility is your friend if you're a gasoline marketer. And what, you know, the, the myth is that people think that when gas prices are going up, the retailers love it. Absolutely not true. When gas prices are going up, they can't seem to pass along the increases uh, quickly enough to make a decent margin. And the margins that you would make on gasoline through the years of gross margin might be 25 or 30 cents a gallon. Uh, you know, the credit card companies eat up a lot of that because people do buy so much on plastic now. But we saw periods this year, you know, right now on the West Coast, if you're operating a gasoline station, you might be making more than a dollar per gallon gross on gasoline. So the numbers are all over the place. Uh, I don't like to predict necessarily what I want to happen, but I have to admit we like the chaos. 
And we like chaotic pricing and big swings. And I think 2023 is going to be another year for that. I would, uh, I would gather right now that I think it'll be a year that has average prices lower than in 2022. But we'll need some good luck for that to happen. And finally, just to uh, quickly on this one, um, last audience uh, question. Will the Biden administration's regulations change direction of oil prices and do midterm elections have any effect on regulations? And this is from Mark. I don't think so. I, I mean, you know, again, I, I've said that the, uh, the efforts to really steer gasoline prices, uh, many of them don't work. The, the, the market pursues its natural course of events. And when we saw profit margins for refiners grow in the second quarter and portions of the third quarter, that motivated uh, refiners to produce more gasoline than they might ordinarily. Uh, it was very prosperous. So uh, I think we'll see something similar in 2023. Uh, you will see you know, for example, in January, it starts again on the West Coast. Uh, you know, one of the things that people don't track, but we track very closely, is refinery maintenance. And refineries are like uh, race cars. They have to take a pit stop every once in a while. And one of the reasons why October saw this gasoline rise, particularly in Western states, was because there were a number of refineries that had put off their maintenance until fall because they were making uh, substantial opportunistic profits in the spring. Uh, you know, that comes with a price. And in this case, it sent gasoline prices back up after 99 days of decreases. My worry is that there has been some work in uh, 2022, particularly in California and in the Pacific Northwest, where they pushed some refinery operations or refinery maintenance into January of 2023. And, uh, you know, a lot of times what happens on the West Coast dictates what happens elsewhere. We certainly see that with fashion and maybe pop culture or whatever. Although, if I listened to it, they said I would be wearing rompers by this time. So, and I haven't worn rompers or capri pants like they were in California. Uh, but I do think that California is going to be the canary in the coal mine next year. Watch it in January. You know, the, the summer begins actually around February 6th or so in mm -hmm. California. That's when you have to start using that much more difficult to make gasoline blend. And uh, uh, I think we'll have, you know, in the next 90 days, we'll be not necessarily looking for a price that represents stasis. You know, that's probably a term that doesn't come up a lot in gasoline. But we'll be looking for the launch pad number for which the next first quarter, early second quarter rally takes off. I just don't think it'll be as bad uh, or as, as uh, impactful as the rally we saw in, in uh, 2022. But I could be wrong. Okay, I think we'll end on that note, Tom. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate you. Okay, and if anybody has follow-up questions, you know, they can send them to my email, tcloza at opisnet, O-P-I-S-N-E-T dot com, or even on Twitter, at Tom Closa. Uh, you'd be happy to answer questions.
Audience, thanks for being here too. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all the questions. We had quite a few, um, but please do join us for Barron's Live on Monday. Barron's Senior Managing Editor Lauren Rublin and Deputy Editor Ben Levison will discuss the outlook for financial markets, industries, sectors, and individual stocks. Until then, stay well and have a great weekend. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.